Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. We are back with another episode of Nobody Told Me That, and I have here fellow road warrior, Lisa Copeland. How are you today, Lisa? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad you could make it. Lisa is a hygienist. She is a certified speaking professional. We are in NSA together, but she has reached that pinnacle of NSA (laughs) with really impressive stuff. You're also a certified virtual presenter, and you are the owner of a company called Communicate with Influence. And I'm really glad that you reached out to me to tell me what was going on in your life. And I was thinking, these topics are amazing. We need to get you on. How has 2020 and now 2021, how has it been treating you since COVID? It's been a journey, as it is for most speakers and companies. 2020 was actually a very good year for me because I am a certified virtual speaker, which you just mentioned. And I've been doing Zoom calls since before they were cool. (laughs) And People knew that they could come to me for content and they didn't have to worry about, does she know how to use Zoom? Does she know how to be a speaker on virtual? Because that's a different beast than standing in front of an audience. 100%. And so 2020 was a good year for me. It opened up doors actually that I probably would not have opportunities to for at least another couple of years. It kind of jump uh, jump started you mm-hmm. with uh, the speaking and being in touch with lots of companies, right? Okay, right. good, yeah. good. And you said earlier in our pregame that you do a lot with LinkedIn. You you get a lot of business off of LinkedIn. I think that's really important for some of the entrepreneurial people who listen. That LinkedIn is definitely a place to get your name out and and to get noticed. Was that surprising to you that LinkedIn turned into a real source of of work for you? No, because it was one of my focuses to really get my profile up to speed, just targeting the right people and saying the right things. I took a couple different coaching courses from colleagues in NSA, National Speakers Association, and I learned how to utilize it better. And so I, it was an active action on my part. And it, it really is worth it to make an investment in if that's where your tribes are, it's a really good investment for you to be able to speak the right language, the business language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're an iron man, iron woman. Yes. So one Both. of your, one of your courses is uh, talking about your journey. This was your first speaking topic. What was it about that journey that you felt you needed to share what you learned from being an, an iron man competitor? Well, first of all, you don't just dive right into iron man. So I was doing triathlons <laughs> for years. And you just take baby steps. It's like anything else we learn how to do. You know, you start it at one point and you work your way up and you build and you build and you build. It's a ladder. It's all about planning and preparation. The Ironman was several years in the making. You know, I finally got to doing half Ironmans and I thought, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to do two half Ironmans and I'm going to run a couple marathons and then I'll see where I'm at. And and then I'm going to go for the Ironman. And The lessons that I learned training for Ironman, the planning and the preparation is what gets you through it. 
it's not really the event. The event is a celebration of all of your hard training. And it, it relates so perfectly to how we need to approach things in dentistry. Because if you don't have a solid foundation or you don't have that plan and you haven't prepared and thought about all the details to move forward, you may not cross the finish line or you may not get the results that you're looking for. You may not get the production that you wanted. You may not even have people interested in it. (laughs) And so that's how I kind of came up with. And I use the acronym Ironman to go through different topics when I'm educating people on communication about, you know, first of all, you've got to have a positive introduction. And if you blow it in the introduction, you don't have another chance, right? You only get one chance to have a first impression. Right. And so I just took that word and broke it down into relevant meaning for communication in the dental offices between our teams and with our patients. Now you focus on not just individual because Ironman is, I guess, your individual journey and then interpreting it for the team. But now you're talking about the whole team. And one of the topics that I really thought was very interesting was emotional safety in the office. And one of the most popular episodes that I had was when my friend Kevin Henry and I talked about bullying in the office. The feedback was amazing. Kevin got messages. I got messages from people who are like, this resonates. And this is probably two or three years ago. It's not like it's gone away. So when you are talking about emotional safety in the office, before we dive into everything, can you define what that means to you? Because I want to make sure that that sets the foundation for the conversation. Sure. So emotional safety, it's come back around really. I mean, it, it never went away, but it's come back around because of COVID really. People are very fearful. They had a lot of questions going through COVID about, you know, when we come back to the office, what are we going to do and how are we going to how am I going to keep up? And, and everybody became very vulnerable. Really setting your office up with emotional safety protocols and processes. It's all about planning again and getting those systems and checklists in place. So you're preempting um, somebody feeling insecure or somebody feeling uncomfortable. And it, it also spreads into dealing with the patients as well. And so how do you make people feel comfortable and enjoy their job or their career Um, after coming back from COVID. And I think that's what made me dive into really looking at the research about this and and applying it to dentistry. What I've noticed talking to friends is that it's not a fun job anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hear in different variations of it, but basically the extra work that they have to do because of the PPE, wearing the PPE, and then patients, you know, having to deal with that level of, like you said, reassuring people emotionally about mm-hmm. coming into the office. So yeah, that's the one thing I hear all the time is this is not what I signed up for. Right. Is that also what you're hearing? Oh, absolutely. I get phone calls every week of, I'm just so frustrated. I don't know, I don't know how to handle the workload anymore. And I'm, I'm having a hard time wearing all the PPE and I'm having a hard time, you know, with all of the changes and keeping up. And, you know, I, I feel like a counselor sometimes because people call and they're just so distraught. They're just looking for somebody to vent to. And then to get some advice, it's just perfect timing to bring this back around because we've been through, we've, we've just been through a hugely disruptive year and disruption actually offers us opportunity. It's really hard to think that you're going to go back to normal after you've had a disruption like this. And so if you can embrace that opportunity and be open to change, that's the way the offices that are succeeding moving through this work best. 
I know that there have been dentists who have lost real star employees because mm. of factors beyond their control. You know, maybe the person needed to stay home with kids or ailing parents. Are you mm. in touch with more hygienists than team members, like auxiliaries other than hygienists, or is it mostly hygienists that you are in contact with? It's team members. Okay. Um, I work with a lot of dental practices and their team members as a whole, okay. but because I'm a hygienist of 20 years, of course, that's who comes to me more and who I interact yeah. with more. Um, well, the reason I ask is, is I'm just curious because I can connect really well to, of course, the, the people I know, the managers and, and newbie correct. doctors that, you know, seem to really are looking for their way. But hygienists, I have a handful of hygienists that I'm really close to, but I don't know as a whole how they're feeling about all of this change. Kind of assume that if they're busy in the back, they're happy. But I don't know if that's necessarily the case because they've probably seen so much change in employees. You know, there's new employees coming and going all of the time. Is there one, I guess, common feeling that you're picking up on amongst the team or in hygienists specifically? Oh, absolutely. It's lack of communication from okay. the owners. Really? Okay. It is, there's a huge communication gap that was exposed as soon as COVID hit and the offices closed. I had a couple of people call and say, my doctor closed the office in March and now he's reopening in June and we've not heard from him at all in between. My goodness. You know, they're so upset about no communication and they don't know the direction. And, you know, hygienists are quite particular about following PPE guidelines and, and according to the CD, CDC. Those people. Right. <laughs> Those people. Um, <laughs> I've said it so much, I can't remember it. They're very focused on doing the right thing. And if they don't have that support, which that's kind of the bottom line, they feel like they're not being supported. I think mm -hmm. that's probably the number one thing that I'm hearing. And it's not, it's not just the hygienists, it's the overall staff. They just mm -hmm. don't feel like they're being supported the way they need to, to feel safe in their work environment. So a huge percentage of hygienists have left the field, 12%. That's a huge number. I have not measured from the manager's point of view, but it's got to be around that number because I hear, I get messages all the time. I, I'm leaving the practice. I send out my newsletter and I'll get unsubscribes, but the unsubscribe message will be, I left dentistry, we'll miss your newsletter, whatever. But I'm surprised when I do that. I'm like, what, why are you going? Don't, don't yeah. leave. But it's what is happening. You worked for Philips for a gazillion years. And, I and that, I, that is how we, I think initially had met each other you're not in corporate anymore. Is that a lot like I'm not in Kansas anymore? How's that going for you? I, I know this is different from what we were just talking about, but I got to ask because you were in corporate for so long. I How was. is it now? How is it now without corporate? Uh, it's a little bit like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> um, I'm not in Kansas anymore. And <laughs> here's the thing though. I was always a clinical practicing hygienist. Even when I was in corporate, I was in corporate for 20, oh gosh, 30 years with all of the companies I worked for. And so I always practiced as a clinical hygienist. And so when I left and I just dove into having my own business, I missed some of it. Like I missed the part about all of the colleagues that I had access to, mm -hmm. to just run things by and, you know, working together on a project. Just, mm -hmm. I missed that, um, uh, that team effort. Cause when you go work for yourself, as you know, it, it's a little bit lonely sometimes. And especially when you're not traveling. You know, Griffin is my star employees. Griffin, my dog, has been employee of the month for about oh, six, so six years now. So, 
Okay, so let, let's get back then. And thank you for humoring me on this little、uh, digression here. Let's talk about your thoughts on emotional safety. And one of the other topics that you're an expert on is generations in the、mm-hmm. workforce. And let's see if I can mix these two together. Are you seeing different emotional safety needs with the different generations? If you dump those two topics into a mixing、yeah. pot, how's it coming up for you? Very, very related because everything from a generational perspective, each generation is influenced by certain events that happen in their formidable years. And so that is what creates us, who we are as a generation. And so every single generation has a different interpretation of the same events.、Mm-hmm. What I'm looking at right now very heavily because Gen Z is coming into the workforce. They're our youngest generation coming into the workforce. So the ones that followed the millennials or the also known as Gen Y.、Mm-hmm. And so Gen Z are right now between age five and mid 20s. That's my son. What- Yeah, right. And so the Gen Zs that are coming into the workforce and they're becoming our future patients, right? They're the ones that are going to build our practice from a patient perspective. And they are hyper focused on emotional safety because they have gone through so many different emotional experiences growing up. And the thing about when you're, when you're categorized, categorized into a generation, you have to be able to remember the event. Of whatever influenced your generation in order to really be in that generation. And so I'll give you an example because that may not make sense. I'm a Gen X, but I'm also what's known as a cusper. I'm born on the very last year of the baby boomers.、Okay. But I can't recall, other than people telling me, any of the events that influenced the baby boomers as they were growing up. So you have to be、uh, old enough to remember them. So usually、mm-hmm. about age five, age six is when you'll start. And so, being a cusper, it's really nice because I fall into some of the baby boomer categories and then other、um, very strongly footed in, in Gen X because those were the influences for me. And so, with Gen Z, the、uh, youngest generation we were just talking about, they had the Great Recession in the 80s. They went through Amber Alerts. They were the first generation to wear sport helmets.、Mm. Right? Remember the days、yes. when we didn't do any of that? No seatbelts, no sport helmets. Yep. Climate change and now COVID. So they've been bookend by the Great Recession and COVID. And so they are very, one of the biggest things they look for is security and safety. Interesting. And so they're looking for benefits and, and they're very, very preventive oriented. They want to know if I do this now, will it help me from having to have more work and more costly things done later? Wonderful patients to bring into our practices because they are very preventive focused. Interesting. What does that do with risk, though? If they've been seeing crisis after crisis, then is their risk tolerance pretty much at a zero because of that or, or the opposite? What do、It's、you think? It's the opposite, really. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're being proactive in preventing it from impacting them. Okay. If you're trying to attract Gen Zs as employees, it's a really important aspect to look at your technology. Super important for you to look at hiring a Gen Z. If you hire a Gen Z, you're going to attract a Gen Z. They look for companies that are supporting the community and making a difference. Meaning they are involved with, say, the environment or giving back to the community. Like they're going to click on the about practice page rather yes, than s e r v i c e s Absolutely. Okay. And, and what you want to have highlighted as a dental practice, if you're looking for new employees, younger employees, 
what you want to have, have highlighted is all of the community activities that you've done. If you've traveled to Nicaragua and you've done, you know, a, a smile, Save the Smiles program, that is what they're going to be looking for because they're more likely to click through to the next wow. area, right? So social media reviews, they look to family first for a referral, and then they look at social media. So what are you hearing about dentists and managers who are looking to hire those Gen Zs? Because mm-hmm. I know the perception is that if we bring this Gen Z in, they're not going to stay because they're job hoppers. Is that something that categorizes them or am I mixing up the millennials with the Gen Zs? What am I doing here? Tell me. (laughs) Uh, That's more of a millennial quality, but just in general, people only stay at jobs three years, three to five years. If you're at a job longer than five years, companies start to look at you and think, well, dentistry is a little bit different in that aspect, but that's kind of a general rule. Gen Z are looking for security. So they are looking for all of the things that they want. They want benefits. They want to know that they have a career track Mm -hmm. and they want to know they have a training program set in place. They want mentors. And so they want to know that they're progressing right from the beginning and they want continual coaching versus millennials. They were more likely to, I don't like my job. I'm moving on. And so they, they did job hop a little bit more than our Gen Z's probably are going to. Is a characteristic of the Gen X's that the coaching isn't a focus? Are we less wanting coaching than the Gen Z? When you bring in a consultant, Mm -hmm. for example, I can tell that there's a little bit of a barrier that needs to be broken down with the Gen X's than with the younger people, because the younger people seem to enjoy somebody new looking in. But with the Gen X's, it seems to me like they're not really wanting that coaching until they can see like this big cost benefit of it. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you're a coach coming in, how do you broach those big gaps in generation within the workforce? How do you let them know, Hey, I'm here for all of you. And what's your game plan? I guess, what's your tackling game plan there? So each generation from the traditionalists, which are oldest generation, the baby boomers and Gen X feedback has always been the word that yeah. people have used. And feedback is, is a very negative term. It means whatever you're going to talk about has already happened. You don't have any resources to correct it. And it's something probably that you didn't do well. And oh. so they have that attitude of now the word should be coaching because okay. it's continual. You know, gone are the days where if you hire an employee that's, a, that's younger generation and you say you'll have an annual review each year, they're not even going to think about taking the job. Interesting. What, what is the reason behind that? Because they want continual coaching. Uh-huh. They want to know that there's a plan for them to progress through the company. They want to know how they can improve on a regular basis. You know, So you need to have more f- frequent communication with the younger generations. Whereas you know, with a traditionalist or baby boomer, their attitude was no news is good news. <laughs> and I don't care if I have an annual review even. <laughs> You're not going to tell me anything I don't already know. Right. (laughs) And reviews tended to have a lot of negativity in them, which that's changed over the years, but you can't just hire somebody and say, you know, in, in six months or a year, we'll look at giving you a raise. You have to give them smaller prizes incrementally much more quickly, or they will leave. So it's a gamification really Mm -hmm. of the marketplace. Okay. Very much. I'm really fascinated by the generational 
information. Can we go back to that for a second? Sure, Do you mind? Absolutely. I feel like I'm going to hop back and forth here, but it's really it's fascinating. Fine. I'm okay wherever you go. Let me just throw this out there because this is probably a very common scenario. You have a dentist who is getting closer to his or her retirement. So that's a the older bracket there. Right. And then you have people who are coming in 20s and 30s working and the curmudgeonly, because at this point, it's not just curmudgeon, it's just frustration. The curmudgeonly response I hear all the time is they don't want to work. They just don't have good work ethic. You wish you had a dollar for every time you heard that. <laughs> oh, you know what? I do. Here's the thing. Time magazine, since traditionalists came on board, they're the first generation that we looked at, at research about, right? The traditionalists are um, our oldest generation, living generation. And Time magazine, every single generation has published a cover story and printed an article about the new generation coming into the workforce. In every single article, it says they have a sense of entitlement and they don't know how to work properly. And they, you know, it's the exact same thing over and over and over. How funny. I didn't realize that. We all had it said about us. And, <laughs> and fortunately for me, because I'm a Gen Z, the Gen Z is also known as the forgotten generation. <laughs> and nobody ever focused on us. We, oh, nobody funny. really paid attention to us. <laughs> What, what happened there? Were you guys just slow and steady wins the race? Like, were you not remarkable enough? What's up with that? Well, it was the first generation. They call, they were called latchkey kids. They were the oh, first generation yes. where both parents work mm -hmm. and they became fiercely independent. They're very, very security focused and very work-life balance focused. They just, you know, stayed the course and they did their work. And when they needed help, they asked for it. But if they didn't need help, they didn't want to tell them how to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so for the younger listeners here, uh, latch key meant that your, both parents worked. And so you wore around your neck a key to the house and you would let yourself in. Nobody would be home. And I remember I had friends who were latchkey kids and my grandmother lived with us. So mm -hmm. I never had an empty house to go home to. And I remember being very jealous that Barb next door <laughs> got to go home to an open house and I would go home and dump my backpack. I was like in, in elementary school, I would dump right. my backpack and go running over there because nobody was home. And, and I had to do it before my mom realized it because she knew where I was going and that nobody was home. Now this has brought back a really fun memory. Uh, so yeah, so that's what latchkey kids were about. You'll enjoy this anecdote. I have to constantly explain things when we're doing this podcast, when people use these colloquialisms because oh, for sure. a lot of people will you know, they'll think, oh, I need to look that up. And they don't. And I just want to make sure they understand. Oh, I'm so. so glad you did jump in. And, you know, I'm right with you because my mom didn't work, which very interesting. My parents were traditionalists. And so all of my other friends had baby boomer parents. My parents were much, much older, 20 years older than all of my friends. My mom oh. never worked and my dad traveled quite a bit, but I never was alone in the house. And when I was, I certainly got into trouble. Of course. And that's why they never left us alone. Exactly. So. <laughs> I am a redhead and we're known to be a little fiery and tempered. <laughs> yes. I've heard stories about you. <laughs> You're kind, not you specifically. My kind. I don't want there to be a lot of rumors floating. I've just been put thing. into the category of those people. <laughs> <laughs> the gingers, as my son would say, the gingers. That's right. I love that nickname. That just came about, you know, recently. Earliest I can hear people talking about that was uh, the dude from Harry Potter, the Weasley yes. dude. When that's when I started hearing gingers, what's this? And then of course it makes sense. The, the other funny term, and this is totally off topic, 
My son would tell me about squeakers. Do you know what a squeaker is? Uh-uh. So when you're playing video games, when you are a teenager and your voice breaks and all of a sudden you've got this manly voice, right? You're playing with your friends and then you hear this little squeaky voice come in. You know, it's a young kid because they haven't hit puberty yet and their voice is squeaking. So when a squeaker tries to join your rating camp or whatever it is that they do online, oh my you gosh. know, they identify like, hey, you know, what are you talking about squeaker? And I just, it's hysterical to me that, <laughs> that we come up, you know, it, this is no different than being on the playground. It's just switched and it's the same each generation. So it should not surprise me that Time Magazine it has identified that when you are young and coming up into the workforce, nobody has uh, work ethic. That's, right. that's interesting because I had always thought, uh, of course, my generation had work ethic. And mm-hmm. now I'm finding out that, that we didn't. <laughs> nope. And they have, they have a sense of entitlement. Those are the two phrases. But, you know, you can kind of see it, though, with uh, or see the evidence, I should say, because we never got the participation trophies our age. We didn't. Uh-huh. You either won or you didn't. And there was no celebrating going to the pizza parlor after the softball game. It was like, let's gather around before we go home because we lost. You know, the winning team went to the pizza parlor. And that's another anachronism there because we don't have pizza parlors. It's a parlor. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just totally dated myself there, too. But now my son played sports and he got a trophy every year he played, regardless of whether or not his team made finals. I can see why there's that myth of everybody gets a trophy. But what I'm hearing, I think, from you is that's been there for a bit. But now if you're that retiring doctor. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to work with the person that I suspect has a sense of entitlement? How, how do I go about proving that wrong? You know what I mean? Like, how do I ask the questions to find out whether or not this is a type of uh, millennial or Gen Z or whatever that I'm dealing with? It's really a matter of the baby boomer doctor changing their generational language. Because we can't expect other people to change. We have to adapt to them. Okay. Knowing that it's a millennial and preconceived notions, right? We have to get rid of those preconceived notions. Perception of who I am, like who I think I am and how people perceive me can be very different than the reality. Yes. And so you have to understand, first of all, the baby boomer doctor would need to understand how are people perceiving me as the leader of the practice? How can they adapt to communicate with the people of different generations in the way that they expect to be communicated? Because that's where the rifts occur. Let me ask you about generational language because you use that term. Mm -hmm. What other examples can you give me with generational language? Perhaps somebody is calling in sick all of the time. Is there differences in generational language regarding that scenario? Not so much with the problem like that. It's more just communicating. These are our protocols and these are the systems and processes that you need to follow, which that needs to be very available to people. And it also needs to be updated and written in languages as generations change. Okay. Um, So not so much with that one, but I'm going to give you an example. It gives you a really good example of generational language. Okay. As dental professionals, we're presenting a treatment case to a patient. And if it's a traditionalist, which is our oldest generation, traditionalists are very provider recommendation driven. If they respect you and they believe that they need the treatment, they're going to do it. They're going to schedule it. With a baby boomer, they need really specific details. 
They want you to take your time explaining it to them. They're going to have a lot of questions. They want the conversation to be in person or over the phone secondary. And they want a lot of time to talk to you about the treatment. And then they also want the opportunity to call you directly with questions. Mm. And then they're going to accept the treatment case, right? A Gen X is very linear. They want everything laid out from here are the three best options, or here are the two best options for you. This one is X amount of dollars. This one is B amount of dollars. Uh, We have payment options. We also have options to split the treatment up. They, they're all about that linear and options. Okay. And that's the best way you can approach a Gen X as far as treatment planning. Gen Y are very, very people-centric. So when you're talking or working with a Gen Y in your practice, uh, they don't like when interruptions occur. And that's tough in our practice, right? Mm-hmm. You got to pop in and say, I'm sorry to interrupt you, doctor, but so-and-so's at the desk and they need but they don't like that. They'd like you to be focused on them and they want to know what's in it for them. If I'm going to do this treatment, what's in it for me and how is it going to improve the quality of my life? And then with our Gen Zs, of course, well, we're not really sure we're getting there, (laughs) but they're very focused on money Mm -hmm. and they're, they're very focused on prevention because they want to prevent it now. So they don't have to worry about it later. Which is, uh, like you said earlier, is great news for us. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. would be fantastic. I'm sure there's some cynical dentists that are like, well, if we do too much production, we don't have any work to do. But honestly, there's always going to be work to do for crying right. out loud. I would not worry about that. Now, the piece there, I get it where you have to take a look at who you're talking to and identify either their wants or desires and then look at the, of course, the age and what their motivators are, like you just said. What does it look like from the presenter's point of view? For myself, if finances are very important to me, I'm going to come at it with that point of view that maybe that's the top thing that they're looking at. But you're saying, don't come at it from your point of view, right? You're, you're saying, look at it from the patient's point of view. Right. Is there one generation that that's harder to do, do you think? Not really. It's, it's a matter of learning about each generation. Okay. Right. First, you've got to learn about yourself and how people perceive you and the things that are noted with your generation. And, you know, you're not going to fit into a generation perfectly. You, yeah. you could have qualities from both generations on either side. Or like me, my parents were so much older, I was raised very differently than most of the people in the Gen X generation. Mm-hmm. It's more perception, learning about yourself first, and then learning about the person that you're interacting. And so every single person on your team, you're interacting differently, and you're trying to adjust to the way that they expect to be communicated with. I appreciate that you took it to the treatment plan presentation route because it's one of my favorite topics. I love it. Let's go back to the bullying part and that ties in with the emotional safety. How big of a problem is it still, this bullying in the workplace and and having to set these guidelines up? How big of a problem is it still? I think it's still there. I think it's changed. Okay. I think it has moved more in a direction of equality, diversification, inclusion, That seems to be more of the topic that people are hitting on now. And so the things that we need to do in our office, you know, if if you're not of a population that has ever been discriminated against, the first place to start is to look at your practice as a, you know, just do a recon through your practice and look at it as when I walk into this office, do I see minority images of all different categories? When I walk through my office, do I have 
or the employees that I hire? Do I have a very diverse team? Do I have people that speak multiple languages? Should I have in the area that I work, should I have an interpreter? And so you really have to look at your practice from a different perspective and be much more inclusive of everyone. And again, the younger generations are looking for that as well. Do you include everyone? Does everyone feel safe? Does everyone feel like they have a voice? And same thing for your patients. You know, if you're, if you're attracting the same type of patients, and maybe you don't live or practice in an area where you have the opportunity to have diversity, that's very reasonable to say. But if you're in an area where you do have those opportunities, you need to start looking at your practice a little bit differently and open it up. You know, are your magazines all of the same types of people? Right. Um, well, and, and boating. I mean, I remember one office doctor was a boater and that's all the magazines were. <laughs> oh, in funny. The, in, in the waiting room. And, it, you know, not everybody here has a boat. And he's like, what are you talking about? We live on the coast where everybody has a boat. So it is, it's <laughs> funny, the, the makeup. And, and I'm glad that you said that about the demographics of the area, because I can imagine not being able to have a diverse staff if you live in an area where there's, you know, that's a low percentage. Now, let me bring in one other topic. My co-host Kevin Henry and I on, on our Chew on this podcast, we just talked about how the dental schools are looking to bring in more diversity mm-hmm. dentists and they've identified that. And also women, uh, more women dentists. They've always been pushing for women dentists. And I think we're finally, we're about even, I think. Yeah. When, it's about 50, 50. You're right. In when, the schools. In the schools. Yes. In the schools. And the, there is that whole thing where they don't necessarily stay in the marketplace as long because some do, you know, the call of motherhood is super, super strong. So I, I get that. Now, when these dentists come out, they're going to, I'm, I'm assuming, hire also diversity hires and really just have a mixed melting pot. How long do you think that's going to take for us to get to a point where it feels like the ship has righted? Oh, boy. I <laughs> is that I a had, loaded question or it what? It is. I wish <laughs> I had my little crystal ball because it's taken so long for women to enter dentistry as dentists, right? Mm-hmm. We've always had, hygienists has always been heavy on the female and lower on the, on the male category. Sure. But I can't think since I've been a hygienist, it has just evolved so slowly. I, it's like a slow moving freight train. And so I think the more when people come out as a diverse population and they hire more diversity and Gen Z, I think they're going to change the trends much more quickly than we've seen happen before. I honestly believe that Gen Z is going to have dentistry changing in leaps and bounds versus the way that we've been changing in the past because of their, their tech, their digital natives with technology and they don't know life without it and they (laughs) use it and they use it really well and they can find information and move things forward so much more quickly, which we've seen happen in COVID as well. Right. So yeah. I'm, I'm really optimistic that it's going to change a lot quicker than it has, but I can't even begin to guess the number of years. Let me ask you then about male hygienists. Are we seeing more? Mm-hmm. Am I, I haven't looked into it, so I don't know. So I'm, I'm genuinely blind about this. Are we seeing more male hygienists? Yes. Why are we not at that same 50-50 level, you know, that the dentists are? And do you ever see that we're going to get to that point? Good question. I don't know why we're not. I don't know why it's not equally growing, but every year, uh, you know, when we mentioned I worked for Phillips for years and I would go into the schools and every year you would have more and more and more hygienists that were male in the class. 
And so, you know, That's it good. used to be, oh my gosh, you have a male in your class. And now it's, they have five, they have six. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's changed the dynamics of the school for sure. And, you know, the way that the faculty interact with the students, it's like, you know, putting a girl on a football team. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy. That's funny. <laughs> you got to think through the details because it's going to change the dynamics significantly. Interesting. And it's fun to see. And the male hygienists that I've encountered are incredibly nurturing And the funny thing is, you know, when they start out in the workforce, as soon as they walk in the room, especially if it's an older patient, they automatically assume it's the dentist. Isn't that funny? There it is. It's going to take a while. That's institutional in itself Mm -hmm. right there. And I always say this in my classes, one of the most fun office settings I worked in is when I was in high school. And then my first two years back from college, my job was as at a record store. Again, I'm dating myself A record store at a record store where you actually went in and bought these things called vinyl records, but it was me and five other guys. And it was hands down the best work environment I've ever been in because it was just so much fun. And you would get flash mad at somebody because they messed up. And then the next minute you're like, you know, joking around and calling them jerks or whatever. I mean, It was just so much fun. And then I went into, of course, healthcare, where it's mostly a female-dominated field. And and the differences are stark, to say the Mm -hmm. least. I would love it if we could merge those two, because the fun and the, I don't want to say less grudge holding, because there's certainly some men who can hold some grudges, but it just seemed like I wasn't walking in on as many landmines as I did in a healthcare setting. So this landmine setting, let's go back to your safety. What do you do if you have somebody in your office where you do feel like you're just crossing from your operatory to the front office is just a landmine Mm -hmm. field. What do you do in that situation? So first and foremost, you have to find out what the real issue is with the person. With the person. So you, you need to have a courageous conversation or a difficult conversation, be it with the, the leader of the practice or the office manager, whoever plays that role. And usually I would say one-on-one initially is the best because something might've changed in that person's life that we don't know about. And and we're only seeing the outlash of it. Mm. Right. And so sitting down and just having a personal conversation and, and not starting it out as this is wrong and we have to, you have to fix it. You don't want to make it very you focused. (laughs) It's more of, you know, I've noticed that your behavior has changed with Maybe it's with one person, maybe it's the whole staff, but I'm really concerned for you and for them that something's going on and, you know, approach it from I'm concerned and just stop talking and listen. And most of the time, if you approach it from a gentle, emotional approach, the person is going to come around and say, you know, I've, I've recently gone through X and I'm having a very hard time balancing things and I'm stressed and, you know, they're going to reveal something about what's been changing their behavior. Okay. And if you acknowledge that and thank them for trusting you to tell them and try to come up with a solution, you know, what can we do that might help alleviate some of your stress? And so that other people, you know, are feeling comfortable when they ask you about this situation or about this question. And so having them help you come up with what can we do? What can we, what can we do as an office to help you reduce your stress so that you're not having such a hard time at work? So if this person's problem still persists, then at what point does it become the responsibility 
of the manager, doctor, owner to not necessarily rein this person in, but to really get to the root of the problem or fix the problem really for the rest of the team. At what point is that expected? You have to document things and keep track of, you know, we had this conversation and, you know, it takes a little while for things to change, give them a little bit of slack, but also say, you know, let's have a conversation in a couple of weeks and see how you're feeling about this situation. And if we need to change additional things or to have another uh, a forward moving discussion. So let them know that, you know, this isn't the last conversation we're going to have about it. I'm here to help you, but we need you to be part of the team and we need everyone to feel comfortable and emotionally safe in our career environment, in our work environment. What if it's a doctor? Let me give you a more awkward situation. Okay. <laughs> what, what about, cause this is, this has happened and I, I was not the consultant for this office. Thankfully, it was more of a, I was doing something else with the office and the main consultant was really just pulling her hair out. They brought on an associate dentist and Mm -hmm. it was, they were going to buy in. I mean, this was hopefully going to be a marriage, right? You know, like a a dental marriage. The associate they brought in was not a very nice person. And so there was this aura of nobody wanted to work with him. The assistants, it was like short straws working with that associate, you know, like, oh, okay, I'll work with him today, but you owe me two days over here. You know, that, that type of thing. What are we doing with an office like that? And I know the owner dentist has ultimate responsibility, but how do you, as a team approach somebody that you perceive has that authority over you? Mm -hmm. Let me back up just because we could have maybe preempted that situation had the team been involved in hiring that person. Ah, okay. That's really the direction that you want to go so that you don't end up in a situation like that. And I've been in that situation. Exactly. Oh, really? Oh, exactly. When you're hiring, get the team involved. You know, yeah, the first phone interview and second interview, maybe with the dentist and the office manager, you know, it depends on the structure of your office. Then have the person come in and go out to lunch with the staff and go out to lunch with some of the people that they would be working with. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe have them do an interview day, you know, working on patients. You know, the, some states you're not allowed to do that anymore. Oh yeah. There's all those legal issues. This is why Um, you need an HR company, right? Oh my goodness. But hopefully you could preempt, you know, people are going to see red flags raised and everybody's going to focus differently on the person. Mm -hmm. And if you get the team input and everybody says, I don't know, I just didn't feel comfortable around this person, or I felt like he was really condescending to me or whatever it is that they bring up. And then on the flip side, they might all say, oh my gosh, we loved her. She's the best person we've interviewed so far. Yeah. She'd be well, great. Hopefully, right? Yeah. That's always the fingers crossed that you exactly. get that. <laughs> However, if you do get to the situation that you're in, and I had this happen in a practice I worked in for 12 years and, and they brought in an associate, really nice guy. His dentistry was very below average, I would oh. say, because I was I've always worked in high-end dental implant prosthetic practices and even just, you know, basic filling work. I'm a restorative hygienist and I would look at his fillings and think, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) it's up to the staff to go to the communicator of the office and whether that's the office manager, you know, the last thing you want is the staff or the team talking to each other, but not expressing themselves and their concerns to a person who would of interest, Mm -hmm. right? And a person who could actually listen to you and objectively approach the the changes that might need to be made. 
the staff, first of all, has to feel comfortable in coming to a particular person. And there's always that one right person in your practice that should have that role because we're all leaders at different times. Yeah, that and, chirping, that chirping can grow very loud behind somebody's back for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because that is important that you empower one person in your office to either pay attention to that or the manager has to, let me just bring something else up. I keep thinking of other things. When you have a manager who is empowered with that, what are the expectations then for how often is the manager supposed to handle it by themselves versus escalating it to the dentist when there's an associate involved? And let's just talk Mm. about your situation and the situation that I was in, because there's that power, right? The power dynamic between the manager and the associate. Where does a buck stop there? Well, it's got to be an arrangement with I would say before the associate is hired with the dentist and the office manager, if that's the person that's going to be kind of the the liaison or the bridge. Okay. I would say you would have to come up with weekly meetings to to just check in, you know, with the associate dentist and and the office manager and the dentist, as well as with just the dentist and the office manager, so that None of the concerns are going, you know, one, two, three, four weeks beyond where they started. Mm-hmm. And so having that process in place and having that communication and it depends on the relationship of the office manager with the dentist. Yeah. It, you know, some dentists, they want the office manager to take, just take care of it and not, they don't want to hear about it, but ultimately they're going to have to. And other dentists, they want to know, right? Then you have the flip side of that, even the micromanagers, which you don't want that either. <laughs> Well, I guess that's the advantage of an organizational chart. Exactly. And that's something too, that in our small little industry, we typically don't have organizational Mm -hmm. charts because you walk into the lounge and you can see the organizational chart in action, but it is a good idea to have that. I'm guessing too, when you bring on new hires that are younger and looking for that kind of structure, that would be important as well to figure out where they fit into. Oh, absolutely. Into the office. Okay. So that, that is something that we should have then and part of managing the office. Absolutely. And the DSO organizations, the dental service organizations, that typically is where a lot of our graduates are looking to go into because they're coming out with so much debt. They can't afford to invest in their own practices Mm -hmm. and DSOs, as you know, they, they function as an organization. And so they have a lot more of of some of the processes that our private practices don't implement. They've got those systems in place. Right. It's admirable too, honestly, that part of that DSO world, knowing the the business world and taking Mm -hmm. lessons from the true business world. I I really, I appreciate that they're bringing that to the industry. Still in touch with a lot of hygienists and you are at the hygiene schools. Are hygienists looking to DSOs the same way graduating dentists are? What's the feel on that? I've never actually thought about that. What do you see out there? You know, it's 50-50. Okay. I see a lot of conversations on social media because someone's thinking about leaving private practice, going to a DSO or vice versa. And Mm. and the conversation is very double-sided. Okay. You know, I love working at private practice because I have this, this, and this. And I, I love working at the DSO because I have, you know, I have structure and I'm paid according to production. And I think it depends on your personality, how you fit into that as well. Yeah. For me, I, I come from a corporate background, you know, I'm a hygienist. I've always been in high-end private practices that were pretty large, but I come from a corporate background. So I don't think I would have a hard time transitioning into a DSO, but somebody who's been in a, a very small private practice, mm-hmm. that would be a huge change for them. 
Yeah. That family feeling can be there, but it mostly is not the same as if, of course, you were in a small, mm-hmm. small office. Now you are really dedicated to improving that communication. And I know that you've got a project coming up. I, I want do. you to talk about it. I'm excited about it. As usual, users, listeners, I don't get paid for these podcasts. I just want to bring you the best that's out there. No, I'm not getting anything for this, but I want you to know what Lisa's got up her sleeve. It's an exciting project. I am launching a membership program for dental teams, doctors, assistants, hygienists, admin, anybody that's on the dental team. And it came about because I wanted to give back to the disruption that we've had with our communication over the last year, particularly the way we've seen this huge communication gap in our teams, our dental teams. And so I came up with um, launching a membership. I'm going to launch it at the end of the summer in August, and it will be called Dental Teams Unite (laughs) Power Talks for Us. Okay. And it's basically focusing on the biggest issues that we're seeing in dentistry and communication right now. The top three things I'm hearing over and over and over the last year and a half are our, our team is not communicating well. We don't understand our goals and our processes and, and where our productivity is going. We aren't feeling emotionally connected or emotionally safe. And so looking at the topics, and we'll go way beyond those as well, but it's going to be an open forum. It'll be on Facebook group. I'll actually do it on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And then I will have the posts in a private group on Facebook. So if you miss a session, uh, you'll be able to go back and listen to the recording. And then I'm also AGD PACE certified. So I'll be able to provide once a month, we'll have a topic, we'll have a theme for the month. We'll have a topic I'll present on the information and I'll be able to provide you with one CE every month that we do the program. And it'll yeah. probably be 10, nine or 10 months out of the year. And so here's the best part. In the first 72 hours, I'm going to offer lifetime membership for anyone that wants to join. So if you subscribe, go onto my website and you subscribe subscribe to my um, newsletter, you'll be on the list when I mail out the flash sale. 72 hours, you can have a lifetime membership for $297. $297. After the 72 hours, then you pay an annual fee to be in the member um, oh, program. I like lifetime. And I think that's important in today's age. You do need support from people that are not necessarily right in front of you all of the mm-hmm. time. I found it to be very useful when I was in the office meeting with other managers around me. And I was really silly. I didn't start doing that towards the end of my time in office just because it never occurred to me. And it was before Facebook and all of that. And now I wish, you know, if I had had that from the very beginning, it would have been a whole different story. And you've been a member, I think a fan of Adom too for a while. So you know that they really enjoy getting together, managers getting together. But you're hoping for not just managers, you're hoping for dentists, hygienists, assistants. You're looking for everybody to join and learn from each other from all those different viewpoints. I think that's fantastic. I want to bring everybody together as a team so that we can really dive deep into here's the problems. Let's come up with the solutions together as a team. Mm -hmm. The same problems are occurring across the country. (laughs) What I really find interesting when you get together with these I guess, national groups, you know, online groups is that you find out what's happening in other areas and you wouldn't realize how different the marketing is from different areas, the different cultures in different areas. Like in Louisiana, you can sponsor a fish fry, you know, and here in uh, Virginia, you can, you know, rent out a movie theater and have big screenings for kids, but you don't necessarily do that in other areas. And in New York City, one of the best marketing pieces I ever heard was a dentist would buy 
whoever called into this pizza place, if they were brand new to the neighborhood, he, the first cheese pizza was on him. You are just amazed at, I am amazed at what is out there, the creativity that's out there and it's not in your backyard. And so when you can share that stuff, you know, everybody gets, gets richer for it. Yeah, so. Oh, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of being a part of a tribe. Yes. You know, National Speakers Association, I've been a member for years and helped me build my business. Yes. And, you know, ADOM and dental hygiene organizations, ADHA, I've been a member of that ever since I joined, ever since I graduated dental hygiene. And that's amazing too, because one thing I've noticed about the hygienists is that they really do like their hygiene association memberships. And when I talk to dentists, you know, most, I would say most of them are, are fans of the ADA and AGD, but there's a lot that are not fans at all. And it's, it's just funny to me because you really don't hear, you know, hygienists going at each other in groups complaining about ADHA. It's a very interesting thing that I see. But maybe you're in, in hygiene only groups and you see those arguments. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't. I think hygienists are pretty passionate. They're a different kind of person as far as their nurturers. They really want to love their careers mm. and they want to take care of people and they want to take care of each other. The other yeah. others, meaning others in their profession. Sure. Sure. I get it. And that's why it's so nice to, to have them in the office and in the operatory. I don't have to worry about talking to a patient about their oral care for the whole appointment, which is nice. But I will say if you can get more male hygienists and male assistants out there, I think it would be good because it'll bring some really good balance. Definitely, it's fun to work with more males that are not just my doctor. God bless him. I love him. But come on, let's get yeah. some more men in here. <laughs> I agree. I, I totally agree. Changes the dynamics. And, and a lot of times for the better. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because then, you know, people don't take themselves as seriously. I think mm -hmm. there's a, a different type of uh, chirping that goes on there. <laughs> yes. So we will definitely put the links in on the show notes. I'm very happy that you brought this information here because the emotional safety is not something that I speak on at all or really look and see when I'm reading articles and stuff. I don't really see that much about no. that. So it was really nice to have this kind of fresh topic. How do we find you? How do they find you? And what can you do for them if they have a study club or if they're in an office? What can you do for them? Easy to find me. I'm at communicatewithinfluence.org. Okay. And um, like I said, you can, you can sign up for my newsletter. I'm, I do not bombard you with emails. I send a newsletter once a month. That's manageable. <laughs> I, yeah. And I post, you know, I post my blog on my website and that's easy to find as well. Uh, if you're interested in hiring me as a consultant, having me talk with your teams, work with your teams on communication, uh, you can reach out to me again on my website or find me on LinkedIn. Okay. And if you're a study club director a society director, somebody yep. in charge of continuing education, they can find you too. And you've Absolutely. got some great topics. So highly recommend that they check you out there. I guess I will have more information for the listeners when your uh, membership drops. Please let me know. Oh, and absolutely. Thank I'll put you it on my, of course, I'll put it on my Facebook page too, so that, you know, we can spread the word on that. Anything that gets teams talking that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm hoping for. So, oh, I so appreciate that. I'm really looking forward to launching it and getting people like you involved in it because I think it's going to be great. People that join are going to be very passionate about fixing our communication gap. And so I'm excited to, to work with these amazing brains and minds. <laughs> Isn't that nice when you are working with passionate people? It just makes such a huge difference. Yes. And I wish you complete luck with that. It's going to be thank exciting you. to watch. So thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And I will make sure that everybody has your information in the show notes. 
And dear listeners, again, I always want to thank you for spending your time with me. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.